Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's edition of the Locked On Phillies podcast. My name is Dan Wilson, and on today's episode, a very special guest, my good friend Graham Foley. Graham had the opportunity to work for the Phillies in a social media and marketing role this year, and he was one of the only people I know who actually had the opportunity to be inside Citizens Bank Park, or any ballpark for that matter, while a major league game was taking place this season. We talked about that. We talked about his role with the team. We talked about different Phillies initiatives and strategies they took given you know the pandemic and all of the hurdles and obstacles that provided, included, including the cutouts, including the opportunity he had to you know run the Fanatics social media page, the obstacles the Fanatic had. He's a mascot. And his entire job revolves around, or a large part of his job anyway, revolves around engaging with fans in the stands, and there aren't any, engaging with the pandemic crew. So we got to that and a whole lot more. So without further hesitation, I present to you Graham Foley of the Philadelphia Phillies. Joining us on today's episode of Locked on Phillies, uh, my good friend Graham Foley also had the opportunity to work in the Philly social department for the first time this year as an intern, continues to do great work for them. Graham, A, how you doing? And B, I that was a bad intro because I realized I should have gotten your official title before we started. What is it and what have you been doing over these past few weeks? Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. I really appreciate it. I'm the um, officially known as a marketing and new media associate for the Phillies. Um, in our marketing and new media department, there's members of the social team of the advertising team. I kind of work for everybody, but mainly my, my role is uh, a social media kind of coordinator, but marketing and new media associate officially. And uh, things have been good. It, it's really slowed down since, you know, we didn't make the playoffs, unfortunately. So once October hit, um, you know, everything kind of slows down, which is good because it's very fast paced and there's a lot to do during the season that uh, now we're just kind of relaxing, getting some content out, uh, ready for our push for Alec Bohm to be rookie of the year. And uh, just trying to take it easy before the uh, offseason really kicks into high gear. What was your what's your day to day like right now? And then I'll kind of delve into what your day to day was like during the season, because for your debut season, I'll call it anything but normal. Yeah, no, none of it was normal. Um, right now, my my day to day is a lot slower, like I said. Uh, so we're still monitoring our accounts, seeing if there's any kind of interaction opportunities from Twitter, uh, Instagram, the comments, stuff like that. We'll come up with content when we can. Uh, for example, you know, when the 2008 anniversary came up, we always do something uh, to honor the the anniversary of the World Series. And usually we just post the highlight, but we figured out something else to do by asking people for their memories and to create a lot more engagement. That was fun. Um, I really advocated to get Joe Blanton's home run tweeted the day before because people love that play and it did very well. So fun things like that. Um, I also run the Beyond the Bell blog on the Phillies uh, website through the social channels. So I'm trying to think of different stories to write for that. Uh, we have one coming out soon about Bohm's top five moments of his rookie year. Another one on Brad Lidge coming up. That's a preview only for your listeners that you won't find out uh, <laughs> unless you listen to the Lockdown Phillies podcast. It's going to be a great one. Uh, so we just try to figure things like that. And then, you know, kind of on the back end of things, I help with different marketing and um, other Phillies initiatives. So was, I've been in the ballpark helping out with fans getting their cutouts that were in the stands for the season. Um, I look up analytics numbers for, uh, you know, different engagement metrics to see which sponsor posted well, which regular posted well. Um, yesterday, I scrubbed through three full games to figure out when Tom McCarthy would talk about the cutouts to then use that footage on different uh, advertising and marketing pushes. 
Uh, so, you know, not all of it is the glory of live tweeting a game. Uh, there's a lot of boring stuff too, but um, it's, it's a lot more fun during the season. Take me through the day-to-day of the season. You're, I, you know, as I mentioned, we're good friends. I remember you were excited. I was excited. All of our friends were excited when you got this job with the Phillies, you're, you know, ready spring trainings underway. You're ready for the hall of 162 games and the first 102 games of major league baseball season gets canceled due to a pandemic. You guys are sitting at home, you're live tweeting, you know, uh, MLB, the show games between, you know, that Reese Hoskins is playing other guys in baseball in. You're just finding any type of content possible. You're organizing Zoom calls between, you know, players around baseball. The 08 Phillies did one. I'm trying to think if there were any others. What was, you didn't know necessarily any different, though you do have experience working in both collegiate and professional sports in social departments. But in terms of baseball, I would think baseball is a little bit different just because of how long of a season it is. And you're working with some experienced people. How, what's your sense on how you know, different it was compared to a quote unquote normal year? Yeah. And first of all, Reese Hoskins was not very good in those MLB the show game. So that was, that was brutal. He plays a better, he's, he's a better hitter in real life than he is in yes. the show from what I understand. He started out hot too, but it just kind of tailed off. And I was on our Twitch uh, channel uh, live texting. We weren't even verified on Twitch yet, a Twitch yet because we just got the account. So people were like, is this even the real Phillies account? And I was like, there's nothing I can do to prove it, but yes, we are. Uh, but no, yeah, it was a lot of weird, fun stuff like that to start off. Um, I remember on, national hot dog day. I was like, let's just tweet about, you know, what's people's favorite, uh, you know, hot dog, you know, dressing combination, whatever. And it got a lot of engagement and that was good for the sponsor. So we figured out different sponsored things to do. We figured out different, like, you know, non-sponsored things to do, just random meme posts, whatever. Um, that was just, that was a good test because it was, you know, we just had to sit down in a time where creativity wasn't really flowing. Everyone's at home. Um, and usually you just rely on the season to kind of figure out what you want to talk about, what do you want to do that's funny, and we just didn't have any of that. So that was a really difficult period that I think was really you know, eye-opening of um, you know, what people who don't work in sports but still work in social media have to do all the time and how it can still kind of be fun and engaging. Uh, but yeah, it, it was totally different for everybody. And usually we have one person live tweeting in a press box, someone on the field doing live content. Uh, maybe somebody else doing live content in a different capacity, maybe with the Fanatic, maybe around the ballpark. Um, and maybe somebody takes the night off. Uh, but because of that, so I really didn't even get to do much live tweeting this year. I got to reply to people on opening day and kind of get that engagement up. But uh, because we had two full-time people and my uh, colleagues, Missy and Tim, who would do live tweeting and stuff, and we didn't have nearly as many games and you weren't at the ballpark working as long hours as they usually do, um, really, they just took Twitter and I just kind of did whatever else was needed in between. And that's why I really developed the blog and um, my podcast on the 1980 Phillies to have kind of something else in a different realm of media, um, something that could be done even during the pandemic when everyone was home, the games weren't being played. Uh, but it was it was a complete adjustment for everybody. We only had one person who was allowed to be in the ballpark every game to get on field content. Um, that was my boss, Megan. Uh, and then Tim and Missy did the live tweeting and we just tried to figure out a way to make it feel like we were at the ballpark, even, and only one of us was the entire time. Uh, so it was just tweeting at home, watching the games. You had to be up to date, uh, getting highlights, uh, from our, our online sources and just trying to make the best of it. So it was, it was a really weird, different environment. We met, uh, we had just a bunch of meetings every day with our video team, with our regular team and, uh, just a weird season, but I think we made the best of it. You guys are watching at home. 
trying to make it feel like you're there. You're trying to make, you know, fans at home feel like they're, they are there. They never have the option to actually go in the stadium. You were in the stadium a couple of times. Mm-hmm. One, how different was it doing that job from home versus being there? And number two, usually I won't say, you know, the goal of the social media team, it's, you know, to promote and show what's going on with the team itself and get excited about it. But when no one can be at a baseball game, at least, and feel free to weigh in on this, in my perspective, baseball is a sport that largely is based upon like going to a game is like, you know, a fun summer night out kind of thing. That wasn't really available. The games were all more important this season because there were less of them, but baseball is, you know, supposed to be this marathon of a year. How do you sell? Was there any talk of strategy in selling to the, not selling to the fan base, but promoting this game to a fan base that physically kind of had their hands tied from that perspective? Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, to hit on that point of, uh, you know, we really realized across the board in all sports, how important social media teams were because, uh, we were really one of the few departments that never stopped working that, you know, so much of what everyone does with the Phillies is surrounded by in-person activities and during the game and the social media team isn't. And we were required to get all the, uh, you know, the revenue from sponsorship and to make sure that fans were still active and engaged. And that's something that continued during the entire pandemic. And then during the season when fans couldn't be there. Um, so it was a lot of trying to get whatever content we could from behind the scenes since now nobody could be there. Um, And it really was stuff that fans are craving. And at the same time, we want to be respectful of the fact that we know that fans can't be there. And, you know, you you don't want to just show the cutouts and um, over and over again, remind people that you're not there and that you you might want to be a part of this, but you can't be. Um, So a lot of posts saying how much we miss the fans and, um, you know, showing the fanatic doing his thing and, you know, kind of a wish you were here sort of uh, attitude in all of our posts. But, at the same time, trying to, you know, show different funny, you know, angles from the empty ballpark and uh, and different behind the scenes stuff, because even the concourse looked totally different. Uh, just trying to emphasize the fact that baseball was still happening and this is weird and we're just going to embrace the weirdness. And, you know, we hope it doesn't last very long. More of my conversation with Graham coming right up. But first, I want to tell you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. They have 18 amazing flavors, including six new ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp, and of course, their original 12 classics, including coconut almond, mint brownie, orange, toffee almond, and a whole lot more. They are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, and of course, they're built healthy. They're great for the health-conscious guy or girl. They help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, and of course, the flavor profile is peanut butter. While supplies last, you've got a free cooler with your purchase. Again, that's only while supplies last, so you gotta act fast. Go to www.builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You'll get 20% off your next order at builtbar.com. Again, the promo code LOCKEDON. For 20% off at BuiltBar.com. I wanted to go into talking about, you know, whether it be the front office, in the Phillies case, the team, whoever it was, usually you guys would have 
prime access to be down on the field, not necessarily get whoever you want. You know, these guys have busy schedules and, you know, they have to be out on the field by a certain time and, you know, be in the cage by a certain time and do all these other things. And, you know, sometimes just fitting in five, 10, even 15 minutes with a player can seem like a task. I'm sure this year, almost impossible. The COVID restrictions around major league baseball, not even allowed. I believe I'm correct in saying this. They were tier one. You were a tier three employee. Correct. Yeah. Take for people who don't know it, because I didn't know it, frankly, until you explained it to me, how did that tier system work? How was it decided? What were the difference differences in, you know, either testing or temperature checks, whatever the case may be that everyone had to pass and what kind of, I'll say unusual barriers did that present? Yeah. And it it definitely was very unusual. Uh, So the tier system was set up by uh, major league baseball and then it was kind of, uh, you know, individual teams went about how they assigned uh, different personnel to those tiers, but then it still had to be approved by major league baseball. Uh, So there's tier one, which is any player, any member of the team um, and the GM members of those front office, the ones who have to be around the team all the time, those who travel with the team, uh, trainers, uh, traveling secretary, uh, those people are tier one. Uh, tier two had access to the field and kind of near the dugout areas, but still couldn't be in the dugout, couldn't be in the clubhouse. Um, they could be around the players, but not uh, not directly with them all the time, not in close, close contact. Um, and so that was my boss, Megan, was the only member of our social team that got tier two. So tier one and tier two had to take a daily COVID test. That would be a quick response. So every day you're spitting at a two basically and going through and um and so we had a, a different one of our social team, uh, Missy, she was there for summer camp and she was tier two for that. And so every day she talked about just waiting in line behind Adam Morgan or something. And, you know, they spit in the tube together and they keep going. And, um, and so those results will come back pretty quickly. And then they'd have a good sense of contact tracing if anyone was positive. Um, so though, and there are marked areas behind the dugout uh, and behind home plate. Uh, there's walls basically and say only tier one and tier two individuals behind this point. Uh, which really restricted the access that I would have. Um, so I was tier three, as was the fanatic technically, um, and any other employee that uh, didn't need to have full field access, they were all tier three. And so if you're tier three, you don't have to do a daily test. All you have to do is pass a temperature check when you come to the ballpark. So a little more lenient, but because of that, there's the responsibility of you have to stay away from those marked areas. I could never come in contact with a player like I normally would during a regular season. And, um, oh, and everyone, of course, is wearing a mask for the entire time across the board. You had, I want to go back to, you mentioned the fanatic, you had the opportunity to get close with the fat fanatic this year, as well as, uh, Tom Burgoyne, best friend of the fanatic, mm-hmm. that entire role, I'll call it on the team. Very important one. Almost before this year, we would have said entirely is based upon the idea of engaging with fans in the stands, not possible in 2020. Further explain your role in that, the strategies that were taken, how much were other, I believe all mascots across baseball were tier three. Every team kind of took a little bit of a different strategy to that. Tell me or tell the listeners more about the strategy the Phillies took there and how that maybe was similar or different to strategies taken around baseball. Yeah. So like you said, the Philly fanatic really specializes in engaging with fans and he likes to do stuff pregame on the field, whether it's, you know, standing by the umpires during the lineup uh, exchange or 
uh, being with the ball girls during the national anthem. And he couldn't be on the field at all. He was uh, tier three. He was given a little bit of special access to be on the dugout where he typically is during the seventh inning. Uh, but he really couldn't be behind on plate. He couldn't be around the players. And of course there's no fans. So it was definitely weird. And, you know, the fanatic has a social presence on Instagram. He doesn't talk. So he can't tweet. He can't write any captions that aren't emojis. It's very difficult for him. He's got furry fingers anyway. Uh, so when you're, when you can't speak, you can't really communicate that well. So um, with that in mind, the only way to communicate with fans this year was via social media. So that's where we kind of stepped in uh, where, you know, Tom Bergoglio's friend, the fanatic was saying the fanatic really wanted to um, have a larger social presence, have someone kind of following him around as he had his antics around the ballpark uh, that were captured on TV pretty frequently. And, you know, remember opening day he was sitting by himself, they zoomed out and he's just clapping by himself or uh, the, uh, the first day game of the season on uh, Sunday when he was right behind home plate and interacting with the cutouts, like that stuff was great. Uh, but so because we wanted to bolster that, that social media presence, I was sent as basically a live content curated for the fanatic, uh, which I got to do a lot more than I even expected. Day one, he told me to sit in the back of the, um, of the uh, ATV and we were flying through the ballpark as I'm holding on to this green furry monster driving for my life and uh, holding out my phone to try to get content. Uh, so we had different skits with, you know, opposing team cutouts. He went to little nooks and crannies in the ballpark that, you know, people usually don't get to. He was in the, uh, the batter's eye where they have all the trees and stuff in the Ivy and center field. He was sitting on the brick wall. He did have some fan interaction with the pandemic crew out by the center field gate. Um, and he just tried to have a lot of fun. So yeah, the, our, our idea basically, which was pretty, you know, pretty standard across the board. We thought we saw um, with other teams in major league baseball was, just make sure whatever the fanatic's doing is blasted on a social media channel so that he's still in the fans' daily lives just digitally because everyone misses seeing him in the ballpark. Uh, but he was still going to do the fun stuff in the ballpark that we all wanted to. Uh, and this is just a different way to kind of see it. You grew up a Phillies fan, you idolizing fanatic players on the field. Now you're working for them. Give me, I mean, I'm sure pros certainly outweigh the cons. Were there any downsides, list the pros first, but were there any downsides to now you're riding around with the fanatic, like broadcasting, you know, you're almost the fanatic's voice, we'll call it. <laughs> were there any, like, I'm no longer a kid who roots for this team. I'm now like a professional who works in baseball moments where it like really clicked. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, the one good thing is working for the Phillies. You can still openly root for the Phillies. I can say right now, go Phillies. And I mean it. Uh, because I'm not an independent journalist, I'm, I'm working for the Phillies. So that's great. But as you know, from working in sports, Dan, that, you know, when you are working uh, every day around a team, um, and especially when your work is now, you know, to make the team look good, it's not to make the team win, you, your focus becomes on your work and not on the team winning. So it does kind of take away some of the rooting aspect. And, you know, I had to make sure that the fanatic um, got his uh, antics out there and, um and also, you know, when you when you see the behind the scenes of the fanatic, your childhood does kind of go away um, pretty quickly. And, you know, you, you're just working to keep that uh, excitement and that kind of childlike energy alive for all fans who aren't able to see him in person this year. So, you know, de definitely riding around on the ATV with the fanatic. It was more of a pro where I would kind of just soak it in a couple of times and be like, I can't believe that this is my life when, you know, I grew up such a huge Phillies fan and, um, you know, I love the fanatic so much. But that was really cool. Uh, but then your focus really is on the work. So you don't get to sit down and relax and enjoy the game that you normally would. But it was really cool to have kind of unprecedented access in a season that 
we're going to look back on in 20, 30, 40 years and be like, wow, that was crazy. I'm going to be able to say that I was one of the few people in the ballpark that saw a game live. So, um, you know, there's, there's a few cons. It's, it's a lot of work and it's, you know, you, you, you see a lot of the back end stuff. Um, but like you said, the pros totally outweigh it. It's, um, you know, I never have to worry about getting up and being tired for work. I'm always excited about it. You, I have two things you mentioned that I want to quickly hit on. Number one, you mentioned that your job you feel like is to, you know, promote. And I don't know if the word used was encourage the team, but not necessarily help the team win. I know the Phillies in their Twitter bio allude to this. Are you suggesting you're going to go public with this right now that you guys don't make the roster decisions? That I'm going to, you know, go out on a limb and say that, like, I do not as a social media manager have control over the roster. I see a, a lot of people want a certain player signed. I cannot do that. I'm sorry. Right. And we, me reading the tweets, I just can't do it. That's disappointing. The second thing I wanted to hit on was the pandemic crew, because I think yeah. Philadelphia and the Phillies really owned a few things, in my humble opinion, if not the best, if not the best right up there with the top in Major League Baseball and sports in general. A, the cutouts. The cutout attendance mm. in Philadelphia this year was probably the best in the league. I know there were a few other stadium. I know Dodger Stadium by the end got pretty big. There were a few others that had large cutout presences, but it was incredible. And, you know, my glowing face would sit right behind home plate the entire <laughs> Right season. behind home plate for everyone to see. Dan right Wilson. Now. And some are blaming some of the bullpen struggles this season on my face being there as a distraction. But that's true. That's that's a debate for another time. In terms of, <laughs> of the pandemic crew, Citizens Bank Park was almost designed for 2020. Because it's one of the few stadiums that you can kind of, you know, can't stand in center field and look in. I know other stadiums are being built. There's, I know, a restaurant that overlooks in Washington. There are apartments that overlook the stadium in Chicago, in San Diego, um, and things like that. Parking lot in D.C. But Citizens Bank Park is a stadium that it had, it, it, like, on the ground level, you can actually see in with the help of a ladder. And certain stadiums this year we're not, you know, so friendly to fans camping outside the stadium, which I can understand. The Phillies did not take that approach at all. They very much embraced the pandemic crew said, look, we're not going to allow people inside the gates. If you're going to be just outside the gates, that's cool with us. Did you have any insight on why that decision was made? And I know you also, I, because I was there with you, you had the opportunity to kind of, watch a game from the pandemic crew at, for one of your stories this year. So if you could speak to that in any sense, a from the team's perspective and b kind of the fan interaction that 2020 still allowed just because of how CBP is laid out. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said about the cutouts too, I mean, it, it's funny, you just basically promoted two of my blog posts on the beyond the bell blog. There's one where I, I talked to members who kind of organized the, uh, more than 10,000 cutouts that the Phillies got and how that came together. And that ended up looking really cool. And then one, like you said, uh, we both had a had an entire game by the uh, pandemic crew. And I kind of wrote what that experience was like. Um, and I was talking to Zach Campbell, who most baseball fans know who was there. And he kept saying it like, no other team has this and no other team has embraced fans like this. You got the shoot away. There's a video where he gets kind of shoot away from City Field. Like not exactly. The stadiums weren't necessarily cool with this. Like why were the Phillies okay with mm -hmm. it? Yeah, and I think it's you know it was what Hample then hit on about how all these fans were well behaved, they were passionate, and they made Phillies fans look really good. And that's what we saw as an organization. Look in the in the very beginning, 
just like any team that had a small fan group that may have come out in the first few days or uh, anyone who's concerned about, you know, safety and health. Uh, we were concerned. We were just like, oh, there's fans out here and you can see into the ballpark and, you know, it, are they going to congregate? Could it be something bad? But the more that you went out there and you got to meet uh, Brett and Oscar, um, you realize that they're just really big Phillies fans who love the team, wanted some way to kind of see the game and we're going to do it safely. Uh, you know, we both saw that you were required to wear a mask. You're required to distance when you can. You're required to sanitize um, and you're required to be respectful. No blowing an air horn during the game and you know, no doing anything that's going to disrupt the game. They were just there to have a good time and watch the team. Uh, so when we realized that maybe just a few games in, and I was talking to Tom McCarthy and uh, Scott Fransky in the broadcast booth, and they were saying the same thing, that they didn't know what this was, and they started interacting with them, and they realized, like, these are a really good group of fans. Um, there was no reason to shoo them off. There was no reason not to embrace this. And that group definitely grew organically, not from our support at all. They were just really big fans that knew other really big fans, and when you see this group on TV having so much fun, it's, it's easy for everybody else to get involved. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we showed our support in whatever way we could. Uh, Joe Girardi bought pizzas for the group during the last week of the season. Um, you know, we wrote about them. We had we brought them in the ballpark for a private tour. And uh, we wanted to make sure we showed our appreciation for them because they did everything safely. They made Phillies fans look really good um, and deservedly so. Phillies fans get a bad rep, and I think they did a good job of uh, making making them look good to a national audience. And now the nickname Karen Boone exists because of them. Like <laughs> the Yankees did not necessarily care for the air horns that were out there. Mm-hmm. And that was a learning moment they said too, where they, they were kind of blowing the air horns uh, just sporadically. And then they realized, all right, this is what we have to do to make sure that, you know, they're loud, they make sense, but they're not interrupting the game. Uh, but at the same time, they had a giant banner that said Karen Boone. And that was pretty hilarious. I'll get you out of here on this from a social media perspective, from a team perspective. We're now in November, you know, baseball, probably not on the forefront of most sports fans minds. You have the NFL still going on. The NBA looks like it's going to return in late December. The NHL expected to return shortly after that. Baseball will be kind of the fourth sport to resume here, if uh, including the NFL that's already currently in progress. It's going to come back in March. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We don't know what the Phillies team what's going to look like. What can fans look forward to? Why should people get excited about this team in 2021, given the, you know, it was an exciting season, but ultimately falling short of the goal of making the postseason in 2020? Yeah, no, that that definitely was a disappointment. Um, I I mean, there's still a lot to really love about this team. When you look at a guy like Alec Bohm that came out of nowhere and, you know, was one of the Phillies' best offensive players, players throughout the entire season and has a chance to be rookie of the year and had a couple of walk-offs um, when you've got like Zach Wheeler, who's locked in for a few more years, who's tremendous on the mound. Uh, when you still have Bryce Harper as a superstar, there's a lot with this team and there's a lot of changes made. Uh, Joe Girardi, I think is a phenomenal manager. He, you talk to anybody in the Phillies organization, uh, they'll talk about just how uh, extremely dedicated he is to the job, how much uh, he wants to know about everything going on within the front office, even and how, you know, he doesn't look down on anyone. He wants to meet everybody. Um, I was only in the office for a few weeks before, uh, or like one week before spring training, and then everyone got sent home. So I didn't get to meet him. But, you know, it sounds like I would have uh, otherwise as a social media intern. Um, there's a lot to like about the Phillies team. And there's a lot, a lot of power in that lineup and a lot of promise in a couple guys that can still come up. Um, but the main thing is just that sports are so important to like kind of fabric of American society. And we saw that this year. 
that's just going to be something that everyone kind of take pride in. I, I got, I was lucky enough to go to games this season and it was weird because with the fake crowd noise and just no one stands, you could look down and there'll be a double hit. You'll barely know what happened because it, it almost felt like a preseason game in the way that like, you know, things didn't feel real until like you knew it, you knew it was real and big games, you could feel it. Um, but it was just such a different atmosphere. Um, so I'm just excited for that kind of element to be gone and to have a little more sense of normalcy next year and have a, a full, hopefully season that, um, players and fans can enjoy i lied one more question what would you were in the ballpark for a number of games you had to have heard either funny things yelled or said or just sounds of the game that you wouldn't ordinarily have you got to give me a top moment before i let you go huh that is a good question who was it that accused the phillies broadcasters of being too loud during the game was that the Yankees also? That was the Yankees. And talking to the broadcasters, yeah, that was that was really but, interesting. You, you you weren't there that day though, right? I was not, no. I only talked to them after after the fact about that. Um, well, that's the thing. So I feel like uh, when I was in the ballpark, you know, sometimes you can you can hear a few, you know, things of players yell that I probably shouldn't repeat on the podcast that are just in the heat of the moment, the heat of the game. What'd you say? We can imagine what they were what were saying. You can imagine, and you can imagine which players are probably louder about that. Um, their interactions with the fanatic were hilarious, um, and you know Andrew that McCutcheon, that was like, Andrew McCutcheon interacting with cutouts, like he exactly. I was gonna, that that was the one I was gonna, one example I was going to say. I was in the upper level in left field when uh, Andrew McCutcheon caught a fly ball and ended inning and turned around to throw into the lower level of left field, and even from there, I could hear him yelling, like, "You want it? You got it." I got you. I got you, fam. Like he was actually speaking to these cutouts. Um, so he didn't just fake that because no one else heard that. Exactly. Literally Nobody else that. heard that. It wasn't on the broadcast. You know, just me and the fanatic were able to hear that. Um, so that kind of stuff was fun. Uh, but yeah, even talking to the announcers too. I mean, I think it was Scott Francis who opened up the uh, the next broadcast with "Welcome to Citizens Bank Park, home of the world's uh, loudest announcers." Um, you know, that's something that doesn't normally happen. And I think they kind of confused the pandemic crew with the announcers of. Know, people yelling to disrupt the game. Um, it, w- it was a lot different, but, uh, you know, it, it, it made you feel like you're really part of it when, you know, you can hear everybody, they can hear you, the broadcasters can, you know, be heard uh, from, the, from the field. It, was, it, it felt like an old-timey baseball field, and that was a lot of fun. Graham Foley of the Philadelphia Phillies, good podcast guest, even better friend. Thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Dan.